Thank you for engaging today's message with Wind River Community Church. Our prayer for you is that you will encounter Christ and grow in your relationship with Him. May this encourage you in connecting with other people who follow Jesus as well as knowing you are not alone. If you would like prayer, please text us at 307-240-8742 or if you would like more information about this program or past messages, visit our website at windriverchurch.com. I look forward to hearing what God is doing in your life. And now, here is today's message. Well, let's get back into the Gospel of of John. And and I just want to remind you about John's Gospel. What, What his purpose in writing this Gospel for? Because you can put one word that will describe all, all of the Gospel of John. And it's believe. Matter of fact, John wrote in there and he said in his gospel, he says, I I wrote this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by by believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose behind him writing this gospel is so that you would believe, so that every person that Jesus comes in contact with would believe who he really is, who he says he is. And and, and so Jesus himself, he made his appearance to us. The Bible, John says that he came full of grace and truth. And when he came, he came to show us what the fullness of God would look like in flesh. And he dwelled among us and he walked with us. He broke bread and ate with us. He played games on the beach. He, he, he did m- uh, miraculous things all the time so that we would believe. And, and here's the great thing, is that when you are confronted with the reality of who Jesus is, you will have to make a choice. You will have to choose whether he is really who he says he is. And who he says he is, he says he's the Son of God, the Lamb, who came to take away the sin of the world, and that he is the only one that can make you right with the Father. He's the only one that can do it. And you either believe that, or you have to go the other way and say, no, you know what? I'm a bit of a cynic, and I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't believe that Jesus is the only way. And so then you'll keep beating your head against the religion and spiritual wall of your life, trying to find something when it's right in front of you the whole time, but your, your pursuit will be in vain. Because Jesus is who he really is. And, and here's the other really interesting thing I have found about Jesus. He's the guy that's willing to confront you about your misbeliefs. He'll show up with the truth about who you are and who he is in your life. And he's also willing to disrupt your deeply held religious views. You know what? We've all got those. We've got some views about God, who we think God is. It's a picture that we've made up of him in our own minds, but it doesn't match anything that the Bible presents. And so Jesus is going like, mm-mm-mm, that's not who I am, but I'm going to show you who I am. And he does that every week, every week that you come in here. The thing we say is that we want to be intentional about connecting you with Jesus, whether it's for the first time, and today, for some of you, it could be the first time, or it's for a lifetime, for the rest of you. Today, you're going to connect with Jesus, and you're going to go like, I'm deeper in love with Jesus than I've ever been before. Today, 
I've made a move in my relationship with Jesus. Because that's what Jesus wants for you. That's what Jesus has in store for you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pick up what, where Jesus is at in, in John chapter 5. And Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And he's going to go to this feast with the Jews. And when he gets there, he says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. And in Aramaic... Uh, called, see, I always get this mixed up. I want to say Bethesda, but it's Bethesda. So called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonies. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what kind of ail- We've all suffered on some level with something at some time in our life, whether it's just dealing for 38 hours with COVID or maybe it's been 38 weeks with, you know, pregnancy <laughs> or whatever that is. <laughs> I don't call that suffering, okay? Please don't. I, it's a joy. I, you know, I mean, but I've never given birth, so uh, I, I speak, you know. I, I just went where angels feel fear to tread. But at the pool of Bethesda, there's this guy who's been there for 38 years. There's a reason why he goes there, because Bethesda, it means house of mercy. Why does it mean house of mercy? There was a, a legend, a myth that went around about this pool with all these colonnades and all these people gathered around them. And it was that because the water in this pool every so often would get what they called stirred up. It would come bubbling up. It would just get bubbling up. And, and the myth, the legend was, is that God sent an angel down to stir the water, and the first person that got into the water would find healing for whatever their ailment was. Whatever it was, if you were the first one in after the waters got stirred, then you would be healed. The problem is, the Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. It's just a myth that that came, and and a lot of it probably is because this pool was so closely connected to the temple of God. They were right next door to each other. But the the reality is, is that all around the hills of Jerusalem, there's all these underground springs, and they have little mini reservoirs in these underground springs, and so the spring would fill up to the reservoir till it would overflow, and when it would overflow, it'd go into the pool, and it would gush up from the bottom, push the water up, and make it look like it was being stirred by an angel. So this guy, for 38 years, he's been an invalid. Now, it doesn't say that he's paralyzed, but he doesn't have the ability to get up and walk, and he spends most of his time on the mat. So there is something that's going on with his physical body where he can't get down to the pool to do any of the things that he wants to do. And so he's laying there, and Jesus, get this, that's where Jesus goes to. I want you to get this message in your mind. I want you to get the picture that Jesus always goes to the people. That's the difference between Jesus and religion. You see, the religion and religious people say, come here. 
Come here and I will tell you great and wondrous things. Come here because I have, I have something that you've never heard before. I have something that's going to blow your mind. You need to come here. That's not what Jesus did because Jesus isn't interested in religion. What Jesus is interested in, he's interested in having a relationship. And so he goes to where the people are. He goes to where the most desperate people are. These people are coming to this pool because they're hoping the water is going to get stirred and they're hoping that this something miraculous is going to happen that they'd be able to step into the water and find healing. This man, we don't know his name, but for 38 years he's been coming, placing his mat down, waiting for the water to stir so he can get in and find healing. That's his only hope. And when Jesus comes, he goes over to this man. Out of all the people laying there, all the, there were blind people, there were paralytics, there were lame people with bad, bad hips or whatever. I mean, there were all kinds of ailments. And of all the people that are there, Jesus passes by all of them to find the one guy. If, if we were there, what would we say? That ain't fair. And Jesus would turn around and go like, and since when did life ever become fair? Didn't your mom teach you that? Sometimes you think you're getting ice cream, but you're not. I got to tell you this. I was, I was thinking of this when I was working on this message this week because, well, it was actually pretty funny. My younger brother, when we were in junior high, I, I had to stay up late on a Sunday night because I procrastinated on all my schoolwork and I had to stay up late to get it done because it was due on Monday morning. So I'm sitting at the table working on it. My mom and dad, after church, had gone off to be with some people, have coffee and do whatever they do. And so I'm sitting there working on my homework when my younger brother, John, who is only 14 months younger than me, he came walking down the stairs from our bedroom upstairs, and I looked at him, and I could tell that he was not awake. He was sleepwalking. And I said, hey, what do you want? I don't know. Do you want some ice cream? Yeah. So I went to the refrigerator, not the freezer, refrigerator, and I pulled out the cold mashed potatoes, <laughs> scooped a bowl of them, right? And I said, do you want some chocolate sauce on that? He said, yes. So I got the cold gravy and put cold gravy on the cold mashed potatoes and put him at the table in his sleep. He's eating cold potatoes and cold gravy thinking that it's ice cream. It was, it was hilarious. But my mom and dad walked in right then. And it wasn't funny anymore. It wasn't fair. I go, well, I thought it was pretty fair. Anyway, so this guy, he's been there for 38 years. I don't know why Jesus chose only him. I don't know why Jesus passed everybody else up. But what I do know is Jesus knew about this guy. Here's what it says in verses 6 and 7. Jesus saw him lying there and knew, get that, Jesus knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, <laughs> Do you want to get healed? Mm. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up and while I am going, another steps down before me. 
Two things that are really important for us to see here. First of all is Jesus had an idea about who this man was and what was going on in his life. He'd already been, he hadn't been living at the pool for 38 years. He had been coming back and forth to the pool because he saw that pool as the place of hope for him. That was the place where he would be able to find healing from whatever was keeping him as a, a lame man not being able to work, not being able to support himself, not being able to have a family, relying on other people to take care of him. He's the one that was down at the pool. He was the one that would labor to get to the pool, hopefully so that he could be healed. And so when Jesus comes and asks him, do you want to be healed? We're all going, well, hello, Captain Obvious. Of course the guy wants to get healed. But, but well, what, what we don't get is that in... Jesus' proclivity of asking the question, do you want to get healed? He's asking a question that has two questions to, to one question. It has two different meanings to it. It isn't just, do you want to get physically healed? Jesus looks at the guy. He knows he's at the pool. He, Jesus is smart enough to go, here's a guy that's been 38 years lame, and he's at a pool where there's this myth about the water being stirred and going in and getting healed. So Jesus goes, that plus that means he wants to get healed. But what the, the guy doesn't pick up on and what is what Jesus is really telling him. He's asking him the greater question, the more important question. Do you want to have spiritual healing? But there's, there's another side to being healed too. Because if you think about it, for 38 years, this man has, has not had a job. He hasn't earned a living. He's relied on the good graces of other people to supply for him. He would beg for his living. He had probably a couple places he would set up, maybe near the temple, because as people are coming in to worship God, they might have a few extra alms to throw into his little dish so that he could buy food to take care of himself. So when Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? He's really asking him this question. Do you want to start going out and working and taking care of yourself and providing for yourself? Do you want to go out and put blisters on your hands and do a hard day's work? Do you want that? And secondly, do you want to take care of the biggest issue in your life? So Jesus is asking a, a really important question because it's not just physical, it's spiritually. Basically, what he's really saying, you could put it this way, do you want to be healed through and through? That's Jesus' main concern for all of humanity, spiritual healing. He knows how much all of us are a mess. We're all messed up. We just have a really great way of hiding our mess. Uh, you probably did it, some of you probably did when you came to church this morning. You got in the car, and it was either one of you sitting in the car this morning waiting for the family to come, honking the horn, yelling at your windshield, oh, for Pete's sake, come on! We're going to be late! We've got to get going to church! And then they get in the car, and it's like, okay, you know what? Next week, we've got to do this better. And so all the way from wherever you live to the holy temple 
here where Jesus is. You're yelling at your family. You're angry. Your wife's mad at you because she put fingernail polish on and it hadn't quite dried. And when she got into the car, now she scuffed it up and she's embarrassed to show her hands. So she's sitting like this right now because her fingernails are polished. She's all mushed up. And so you came in, but when you got into the parking lot, you turned around and you said to everybody, now, act like you're happy. Show everybody how much you love Jesus. Because we're all a mess. Jesus knows that this man wants to be healed. But he's not really asking him if he wants to be physically healed because we already know the answer to that. He's asking him if he wants spiritual healing. And yet the man doesn't have the wherewithal to understand the question. He really doesn't get it. The the bigger problem is what's easier to heal? A broken body or a broken heart? We're kind of like that man at the pool. We're unaware of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. With a question such as this, do you want to be healed? Jesus is probing the deeper regions of our hearts. And perhaps we've put our guard up like we do when we wear a mask to come into a place because we want everybody to think we're doing great, that our life is okay, that we didn't have a fight with our spouse, that we're the, we're the perfect-looking Christian family when we come to church carrying our Bible coming in and ready to worship God, when in fact, inside, we're nothing but a turmoil and a big mess. And Jesus is saying, I just want you to be real with me this morning. I just want you to come and lay your burdens down for me. Do you want to be healed is the question that, that Jesus asks. And I think that that the problem is is that we might misunderstand the question. And the reason we misunderstand the question is because we don't understand the question. And the reason we don't understand the question is because we don't want to. Just think about it. Whatever it is, the greatest thing in your life, your greatest need right now, if Jesus were to walk up right now, walk past everybody else in the room and walk up to you and just say to you, do you want to be healed? You would know that he's not just talking about a physical ailment or a financial need. You would know that he's talking about something deeper in the heart that, you have, that has been ripping you up for a long time. A broken relationship. Something that happened in your past that you've not gotten over. Maybe it's, it's an atrocity that was against you or maybe something you said or did to somebody else at one point that has just haunted you your whole life and there's no healing, it's brokenness. And, and so we have this, this deception in our heart and we just keep telling ourselves that we're okay. We've been, maybe we've been abandoned or we've abandoned somebody. Maybe we feel betrayed. It doesn't matter what it is. We're hiding it and we think we've hidden it from everybody else and yet God sees everything and he knows everything. That's why in Jeremiah it says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? God does. He sees it. He knows all about it. And guess what? It doesn't put him off. It doesn't make him repulsed by you at any level. 
He loves you despite your inner self. Matter of fact, I think he loves you because of your inner self, because he knows he's the only one that can come and do anything to help you with whatever's going on inside of here. Because it's easier to identify a sick body than a deceitful heart. It's much easier to go see a medical doctor and say, hey, you know, my arm's broken, than to go see the spiritual physician, Jesus, and say, my heart is broken. And I've been deceiving myself about it. So, the first thing that we have to do with this account is to correctly interpret the question and hear Jesus ask it to us. Do you want to be healed? Really healed? Deep in your heart, the wounds, the scars that have been left there by by life. The man by the pool is like us. Many of us don't think we have a need. And yet we have great need. We have a need to just find maybe a little success in this world. We don't, we don't, we feel like we don't have the intellect or the looks or the charisma. We don't have the man or the woman or the connections. For many of us, our story is about what we don't have and what we can't do. And like the man at the pool, perhaps, we just don't have anybody that's on our side, we feel. We feel there's no one who's going to help us get to the place where we need to get in order to be who we really want to be. Somebody else always gets the the grades or the trophy or the girl, the guy, the job or the promotion, the pregnancy, the greater following. Whatever it is, some of us, our hopes, like those of the man by the pool, become empty dreams. He sat by the pool for 38 years, dreaming of the day that he would get in and find healing, and it was never coming to fruition. He sat there and dreamed about the day when things would become whole, when his life would become different. And yet, as he sat there day in and day out, nothing ever changed for him. And so maybe where he started off with high hope is now hopeless. He's doing it just because he has no other place to go. He has no other thing to have happen in his life. But somehow, this man who is standing before him, who knows everything, has said to him, do you want to get healed? He is now giving him a command. He's ordering him to do something. And rather surprising one. Jesus said to him in verse 8, Stand up and pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. This is an amazing turn of events for this man. He, He comes in, 38 years an invalid, and, and Jesus says the words to him that he, he knows can't happen. It's impossible. This is an impossible task set before him. But somehow this man sensed the intent behind the command. Perhaps he was thinking, if this man tells me to stand and I cannot stand, it must mean that he intends to do something to make it possible. At the moment, at that moment, his faith is transferred from his own efforts to Jesus. He he realizes, I don't have it. 
But this guy does. So he must mean it when he says it. Here's what I think what happened is, is that he's thinking, this man, he's going to help me, but I have to decide to do what he tells me to do. That's a crucial part in your relationship with God, and a lot of people miss that aspect of trusting God. Because when you hear from God, there's always something God tells us to do. He says, believe, or he says, go and do, or he says, you need to act upon this. This is the word of action. And Jesus does not say to this man, try to build your faith up in your mind. He doesn't say, hey, try to fashion your thoughts on a positive outcome. Think yourself better. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus tells him to do something. He says, rise up, stand up, get on your own two feet. Obviously, it was Jesus' will that this man should do what he told him to do. And the moment that the man's will agreed with Jesus' will, the power was there for the man. It wasn't because of the man. It was because of Jesus. And, and he trusted Jesus in that moment, and he agreed upon it, and all of a sudden, his bones that were weak and his muscles that had no strength all of a sudden became strong. There was no atrophy with this man. There was no physical therapy that this man needed. Sorry to all of our physical therapists here. When Jesus touches your life, they don't need you. Jesus does it completely. And he stood up and he was able to walk and he obeyed because he could for the first time in his life obey the command of Jesus, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And the man did it. It used to be that he was governed by his mat that he laid on. His mat told him what he would do every day. But now that Jesus heals him, he governs the mat. And he can do with that mat whatever he wants. What Jesus did for the man was what the pool was supposed to do but could not do. So here's what happens. Jesus heals the man. He gets up and walks. He, he's found new life. I mean, like, you can imagine just the joy in his heart thinking about this. I mean, 38 years not being able to do anything. And all of a sudden, now he can do anything. Anything he wants to do, he can do. So he gets up and he walks, rolls up his mat. Because Jesus told him to do it, he does it. But here's what happens in verse 9. It says, Now that, now that day was the Sabbath. I want you to understand this. The Sabbath. Jesus is the guy that created the Sabbath. He's God. He created the Sabbath. His whole idea behind the Sabbath is that, remember, a sheep, we're dumb, and we don't do what we're supposed to do. And so Jesus says, out of the seven days that you have in a week, you need to take one day, one day for rest. One day. What does that mean for rest? Does that mean you lay down and you do nothing? Because that's kind of the Sabbath, what we're going to look at here in a minute. We'll see that. Because that is not what Jesus meant by the Sabbath. Man wasn't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. In other words, if you are working, then what you need to do is you need to take one day a week 
and do something different than your normal routine. My Sabbath is going to be tomorrow. It's not today. Tomorrow, uh, there's, there's a couple things I do on my Sabbath. You might find this weird, but I do not put my watch on, on my Sabbath, because I don't care what time it is. If I'm hungry, I'm going to eat something. I don't care if the sun is at high noon. If I feel like taking a nap, I'm going to take a nap. If I feel like mowing the lawn, then I'm going to go mow the lawn. And the other thing I don't do is I don't start studying on Monday for next Sunday. I don't take phone calls. You phone me on a Monday, and 99% of the time it's going to go to voicemail, and I'll get a hold of you on Tuesday. I, I just, I just, I do something different than I normally do the other six days of the week. I mow the grass, I go fishing, I clean, I'll cook a meal for Lorinda. Hey honey, I made some mac and cheese for you right here out of that box. It looks horrible and it tastes just as bad as it looked, but enjoy. Back to our passage. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Here's, here's and I'm just spending a short amount of time on these verses. These are the religious leaders of the day. These are the guys that are supposed to be celebrating and Jesus came to do this festival with the Jews, these religious leaders in Jerusalem. They celebrate all the goodness of God. But yet, the, the really great thing that God has done, healed this man, they're not celebrating the goodness of God. They're getting hung up on something that they put in. God never said anywhere that you don't pick up your mat and walk. That's not what he said. Matter of fact, they had created such a, a difficult thing in those times for, for everybody, the, the religious leaders. They said, you can't even take a handkerchief or a napkin from the counter and place it on the table because you're working. You're doing something you shouldn't do. So what would they do? The night before, they would take and they would pin it to their robe so it hung there so they took it with them wherever they went so they wouldn't be working to take that thing that is not what Jesus meant and so these religious leaders they should have been celebrating the fact that this man had gone from being an invalid for 38 years to now walking and they should have been praising God and they should have been bringing it all to God and giving it to God but that's not what happened they got hung up in the weeds and they were a mess because of it that happens to us sometimes. I, I will, I've seen it take place within, within this church, within the community of faith in Lander. Something good, God blesses somebody in our church or somebody else, and instead of everybody going, woohoo, there are a few people that go, woohoo, how come it's not me? Why not me? How, how come not me, Jesus? How come them? Why not me? And the Bible tells us that, that we're to do two things. For those who mourn, 
Like the McKinney's, we need to mourn with them. We need to, we need to weep. But for those who rejoice, the Bible says, you know, who have been blessed, we need to rejoice with them. That's why we rejoice with the Rupals because of Ezra. That's our big rejoicing. We're going, yeah! I mean, that's the thing. We're not going like, well, how come not me? We're going, that guy back there, that little guy, if nobody else deserves it, but he does. Jesus kind of dealt with those religious leaders. He had a conversation with them. But afterwards, it says in verse 14, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. Uh, Two things I want you to pick up here. First of all, even after Jesus healed the man, he went and found him. Jesus sought him out. He was seeking him. Even after he's been healed, Jesus went to the temple and he found the man. And he was seeking him because he had more for him. Here's the point. You, if, if you have been healed spiritually by Jesus, he's not done with you. He's still seeking after you. He wants to come to you because he still has more for you. He wants to take you to a deeper place in a relationship with him because there are still things in your life that you need to get straightened out. There are still things in your life from your past that are still tied around your ankle and they're like a dead carcass. You're dragging them with you everywhere you go and every time you stop to take a breather and you think about everything that's going on, you kind of think, my life stinks right now. Why does it stink so bad? Everything's just kind of yucky. It just, I don't know why it stinks so bad. And the problem is, is that the thing that was in your past, you've not left in your past. You've left it in the present, 10 feet behind you, and it's a dead carcass, and it's stinking to high hell. And you can't figure out what it is. And yet Jesus is standing there with a knife ready to cut that rope and release you from it, but he's asking you the question. Do you want to be healed? When he found the man, the next thing that he said to him, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The indication is is there was something that went on in this man's life that brought him to the place where he was as, as being an invalid. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up that that is not... Always what happens, that is because you end up sick, because you end up with a broken leg, because you end up with cancer, because you end up with something in your life, that does not mean that it's, it's brought on by your sin against God. Although sometimes God does that because all the other things that he's been saying to you along the time, hey, look right here, I've got something for you. You're not paying attention. Look, I've got this for you. Hey, oh, no, 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 this is bad. And then finally, Jesus has to do something to get your attention. And then you finally wake up and you go like, oh, I wonder what Jesus is trying to tell me. Hello, I'm here, and we need to deal with this issue. And that's what Jesus is saying about this man. I think that this man was living a life 
irrespective of the will of God. That's the worst sin that we commit. Is that it's, we have no respect for what God has for us or who He is or what He does in our life. We, we just want to live our life as we see fit to live our life. It has nothing to do with who Jesus is or what God wants for us. It's irrespective of what's going on. So Jesus comes along and says to the man, He says, go and sin no more lest something worse happens to you. So what would be worse than, than being a paralytic? The worst part is, is that you end up at the end of your life standing before God and after he has brought healing to your life, you decided instead of going and walking on with God, you would go back to your old way of life because somehow you believe that this thing that you have here with God is going to, he owes you heaven regardless of how you live your life. I want you to know this is not sinless perfection that Jesus is talking about. I believe he's talking about a very specific habitual sin that this man had in his life. We'll, we'll get to this probably, you know, in the fall. But there, there's a point in John where the religious leaders bring the woman who had been caught in adultery to Jesus. He dealt with all of that, but he looked at the woman and he said, where are your accusers? She says, my Lord, there are no accusers. He says, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. He wasn't asking her to stop sinning completely because he knows the human condition, that we cannot stop sinning completely. We have bad thoughts. We get angry in the wrong way. We, we say words we wish we would have never have said. We, we don't spend the time with Jesus that we should be spending with Jesus. I mean, we have all these things going on where we kind of mess things up on a regular basis. So Jesus isn't saying stop sinning. What he said to the woman who was caught in adultery, he said stop having adulterous relationships. No more. Just stop it. That's what he's saying to the man. Whatever this habitual sin is, this irreverence towards God, stop doing it lest you end up one day in a worse position. Here's what I know that that has really happened for this man. Jesus at that time made him whole, completely well. But the problem is, that healing would not last. Because there was a day that's coming when that man would take his last steps, when he would breathe his last breath, when he would have his last conversation, when he would have his last meal with a family. There would be the last on a bunch of levels for this guy, and then one day he would be standing in front of God. And he'd have to give an account for what he did with the rest of his life after he was healed. For us, that's our response. Especially for those who have who've been healed spiritually. I, I'm, I'm one of those few guys that I've known the healing power of God in my body. He's healed me 
spiritually, but he's also healed me physically. He healed me from whooping cough when I was a kid. My right knee should have been replaced 10 years ago, but Jesus miraculously healed my knee. I have not had a problem with it since. Miraculous healing. But that's my knee and my whooping cough. Those things really don't matter that much to me because what I really want is I want more of the glory of God in my life. I want to go deeper with Jesus than I've ever been before. I want more of what he has for me. The Apostle Paul says that when we are transformed, we become transformed into the likeness of Christ as we behold the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus, Paul says, is seen in the face of Christ. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God, who said, let there be light in darkness, right here, the darkness of my heart, he has made his light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. Do you know that glory? Is it revealed in your life? You see, the man at the pool, he had an encounter with Jesus, and that encounter changed his life forever. He was no longer the same guy. He was no longer the cripple. He was no longer the lame guy. He was no longer the beggar. He was no longer the other, the guy who was depending upon everybody else to do everything else for him. He became productive. He started to help other people. He started to come along and make his way in life. Even at a, eight, a, a late age in his his life, he started to do things for the kingdom of God. Jesus came in and made a difference in his life. And what Jesus is saying to us is that we will, we will see the glory of Christ in, in our lives, his greatness, in his love. And by seeing what he's done for us, we will see that we are indeed well. And when we see that, we will know that it exceeds all of our hopes and we are no longer hopeless, but we have the greatest hope we've ever had. We will, in our hearts, then be able, out of obedience to the command, to say, I will sin no more. But it's only possible with the glory of Christ, his greatness, his love, working in us and for us through the Holy Spirit. The pool of Bethesda was the focal of local legend, and mythology about the healing. But Jesus showed that faith in legends and superstitions is misplaced. In contrast, faith in Jesus Christ, the one who can heal with a simple word, the Savior who can forgive any sin, the true master of the house of mercy, is never misplaced. You can always trust him, not just to do enough, but to do more than enough. So this morning, my question for you is, do you want to be healed? I'm going to pray here in a minute, and, and I'm just going to really make this really helpful as I give instruction. There are some of you here who have not known the spiritual healing of Jesus ever in your life. You've heard about it, You've gone to church a lot in your life, and because you're, you've gone to church, you're religious, but you're not in a relationship, 
And you can't get into relationship till you've been healed. And the way that you get healing is to say to Jesus, I need you to heal me. There are some of others of you who have been, I've been with Jesus, but I've let things back into my life that are causing me pain, and I need a fresh healing. You might just, you just might want to mark on, so you might, the first group of people, you might want to mark on here, I just gave my life to Christ, because I'm going to pray that way, and you repeat that prayer after me. Others of you might be marking, I have a freshness with Jesus this, this morning. He's, I've been walking with Jesus, but not well. And I'm renewing my commitment to Jesus. You can mark that on here. Maybe it's something other. Maybe you need prayer about something. Mark that on here. Fill out the card. Get ready to hand it in after we get done praying. Jesus is here to heal your life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have seen this morning that you're here among us. We're like that great multitude of people around the house of mercy waiting for you to show your mercy and grace in our lives. So we're waiting to be healed. And some people came in this morning not knowing Jesus, that, that they were spiritually broken. Their heart was broken. And this morning, they're saying to you, please, Jesus, mend my heart. And so I know, God, that as as they cry out to you, you will answer their prayer. You will come to them, and you will help them. For others who have had all kinds of issues and hurts and pains in their life over the years, you are still saying to them, I want to bring healing. Do you want healing? And they're saying, yes, heal me. Jesus, give me new hope. Give me a new place. Give me a new direction. We want to listen to that wonderful voice that, uh, on the inner part of us, in our heart, that tells us to rise up and walk. That we might show the glory of Jesus to those around us. So we ask that you would come and do that. Now for those of you who have never prayed and asked Jesus into your life, just pray this prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I recognize this morning that I am spiritually broken, that I need spiritual healing, and you're the only one that can do it. You're the only one that can make me right with the Father. So I'm asking you, Jesus, to bring healing to my life by forgiving my sins, by making me whole, by making me new, by cleansing me. I give you my life. I ask that you would restore, renew, make me whole and new. And then I ask that you would lead me and I'd have this new life. I ask you to come and do this, Jesus, and be my Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. We, th- we thank you, Lord, that you answer those prayers and that you will do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine and bring healing to the rest of those who are crying out to you today. We pray in your great name, Jesus. Amen.